If you have your Bibles, please open up to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the sound booth in the back. Again, you can follow along on the Bible app as well. We would love for you to do that. So those of you who know me, knows uh, you know that I have a year and a half year old uh, little girl. She is adorable, obviously, uh, but she also just became super mobile. So like she went from not crawling at all, not walking at all to sprinting everywhere, which is awesome, right? It's super fun um, when there's other people to help her, help uh, kind of guide her inside the doors. But there's something that happens when toddlers get around other toddlers. I've never, never, I mean, I'm just now experiencing this as a parent, but they're like, it's magic, really. Uh, they can take the energy that they have in that single little toddler, which is a lot, right? And then when they get with other toddlers, there's like this chemistry thing that happens and it explodes and both of their energy levels are multiplied exponentially, and two toddlers has like this ball of energy, and three toddlers, it keeps getting more and more, and you're like, how is this even happening? And your house begins to shake once you have a couple of them in there, and you're like, how did you get up there? Like, get down, I don't even know how to get you down from there. So the the toddlers, they have all this energy, right? And one of the things I like to do, we have some friends that we try to spend uh, time with both of our families, get together, play cards, we play um, the game of our generation, if you are not aware, is Settlers of Catan. So if you wanted to do that, I can teach you. I can, I'm pretty, pretty good. I have a card in my pocket saying that I'm the champion. So um, it's a true statement. I'll show you later. Uh, but anyways, I like to, we go over and our kids get together and they start playing and I'm all about like, hey, let's get down on the floor and play with them for like five minutes, right? Because it's exhausting. After I'm a jungle gym for a little bit, I'm dogpiled. I've gotten kicked in the face a couple times. I'm like, all right, guys, I'm good. But that's not like sufficient for a toddler, right? They're like, no, 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 we're still playing. I'm not done with you. Because the pursuit of a toddler is never ending, right? They will keep going until you can go no longer or until you distract them with something else, right? And today what we're going to look at is the, this picture of God's pursuit of us. It makes a toddler's it makes a toddler exhausted. That's how much God is pursuing us. And so often when we think about God pursuing people, we think about God pursuing people that we find value in, right? If we're going to be completely honest here in this moment, you might think to yourself, hey, yes, I understand and I believe that God will change people's lives. And God wants to use influential people and change their lives uh, because they can impact a great amount of people. That's why um, when you, like you have your favorite celebrity, right? And if I go on your Google history pretty, pretty recently, like when they come out with a show or they're on TV or anything, you're like, so-and-so Christian. And you're like trying to hope that they are somehow a Christian so you can like maybe make yourself feel good about these kinds of things because you want influential people uh, to be followers of Jesus. Uh, or you go on the other side of things and you look at someone in their life and maybe the decisions that they made or the hand that they were dealt and you say, you know what? This person, we've given them a shot. Maybe they're a friend, relative, someone that lives on your street. We've given them a shot. We've gone above and beyond. And the reality is they're just too far gone. I hate to say that, but sometimes people think that way, right? Uh, either way, uh, people think that way. And, and this is what I want you guys to understand today is that God pursues everyone. 
God pursues everyone with this reckless abandon. And so we're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 9, and we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 19 really quickly. And those of you who have been around church for a little bit have probably heard this story before, um, and it's an impactful story. So please don't check out on me, because I think uh, God has some really cool stuff for us to see. So uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19 says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, he was on his way, and he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there's a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarshish named Saul. For behold, he is praying. He's seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming, uh, come, coming in and laying hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, uh, I've heard from many about this man, how much, evil, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, entered the house, laying his hands on him, brother, and said, and brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by, uh, by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. So many of us have heard of this man named Saul. Uh, we, we heard of him um, in the previous chapter as he was um, part of the execution execution of Stephen, right? He was agging them on. He was like, hey guys, don't you think these cloaks are a little bit heavy to be throwing stones at this guy? Why don't you let me hold these so that you can kill him even better, right? Uh, and he uh, is, is, is really, really persecuting a lot of the Christians. And what I want us to see is there's really two perspectives on this man named Saul, Right? If, you, if you're familiar with the New Testament, um, Saul, uh, you know, spoiler alert, uh, he writes a lot of the New Testament, and in his writings, he talks about his own life. And in, in Philippians chapter 3 and in Acts chapter 22, he talks about how religious he really was and how his religiousness was so great. Right? He said that, that I'm a Pharisee, that he was a Pharisee, um, and that he was trained by the number one of all teachers in our group, uh, this guy named uh, Gamil. Right? And we saw Gamil earlier on in the book of Acts stand up to everyone 
um, that was trying to eliminate Christianity and speak truth to them because he was an influencer. And so, so Paul, uh, Saul has this religiousness about him, right? He, has, uh, he was trained um, in, in the most prestigious of schools. It would be like him saying today, I'm a Harvard-educated uh, law. I graduated from Harvard Law, top of my class, right? So you, you, you hear someone that graduates from Harvard, and you're like, they're probably pretty smart. And then you hear, not only do they graduate from Harvard, they're at the top of their class, um, which means they're really, really, really smart, right? The, a couple years ago, my wife and I we went to Boston, and I went, and we get to walk around Harvard for a little bit. And I, I was immediately smarter. I like started solving like complex math equations. It was weird. Actually, the truth is they asked me to leave. They were like, hey, sir, you're bringing down the IQ of everyone around us. So if you could please get off our property, that would be nice. Uh, but, but when we hear this idea of someone that's uh, educated in such a prestigious place, we, th- there's automatically this kind of sense of respect. And we know the effort that they make in order to, uh, to, to, to graduate top of your class. And so when he tells people, hey, you know, I, I, this is who I am. This is where I was educated. Uh, and then he looks at people and he says, as to the law, I am blameless. Like if there was a rule out there, Saul followed it. Right? He did everything that they were asked to do. He was a young man. And he rose up through the ranks um, of all the Pharisees. Um, he, was, he was the man, right? He, he knew the Old Testament, had it memorized. He followed all the rules. And, and his religiousness was epic, right? He was the poster child for what it looks like to be religious, he had knowledge, and he knew people in high places. He goes and talks to um, the, the high priest and gets this order out, right? But he's not, not just religious. He's also very, very passionate, right? He talks about his passion, and you see his passion. He talks about, as, as for zeal, as for passion, I was a persecutor of the way, right? He was the kind of person that you don't want to get in an argument against, right? Because he will find a way to win, right? I, I love the shows where you're, you're seeing like this lawyer or this detective, and they're like, they can't crack the case, they can't crack the case. And then like, there's this random person that walks by with a cup of coffee and bumps into someone and it spills. And then like, there's this light bulb that comes off and there's this, they can figure out, oh, this is what happened by this spilling of coffee or whatever happens, right? Like this is the loopholes he can find. He was passionate and he would find a way to win whatever it took, right? He persecuted those who were against him to the point where he uh, had their names on lists to, to, to put in jail and throw into jail. And so he was very, very passionate and he, uh, he had these very strong convictions. And this is what I want you to hear, church, today. It's just because you feel strongly about something it doesn't mean you're right, okay? Like just because you're strongly about something, you feel strongly about something, doesn't mean you're right. Uh, we, uh, as followers of Jesus, um, I hope that you feel strongly about your faith, right? But we also need to be open to have conversations with people 
about what they believe. Oftentimes, Christians, uh, we hold on to what we believe so tightly that we become closed-minded to talk and have conversations with people that might think differently than us. And part of that comes from a place of fear, a place that I, I hope that, it, well, I wonder if, it, if I was open to this, maybe all the things that I've heard and been taught and all the things that I've believed, what if they're not actually true? And we're afraid to question these things because if these things are not true, then our whole world begins to unravel. And this is what I want to challenge you with. If these things aren't true, then we're wasting our time here. If you're so afraid that God might be proven wrong, you're not serving God at all. It's a caricature of God. I have a friend of mine who just started doing this podcast, um, and he's having a conversation. He's a, he's a follower of Christ. Um, he's having this conversation with this other guy who's not uh, he's not a believer, but they're just talking about life and all these different things, parenting and work and being efficient and, and working out and all these kinds of things. They're doing this podcast. And, and my friend, uh, because he's a follower of Christ, you see that in all of his conversations, um, his relationship with Jesus, it really shapes the way he looks at the world around him. And I'm listening to this podcast because he's my friend and I want to support him, right? And he's giving it a shot. And so I'm going to give it a shot too, right? I'm listening to it and I'm hearing this other guy who's, who's not religious at all, um, who, who grew up in the church, but very much pushed it away. He's beginning to have an open dialogue with someone else who's not being closed-minded, who's embracing his ideas and then embracing the other guy's ideas and then sharing his ideas in a loving manner, not in an aggressive manner, not in a I'm right and you're wrong manner, but just saying, hey, this is, what, this is my experience and this is what I know to be true through the life that I have lived. And I've been able to watch this guy uh, progress to being very much like, oh, well, this is what I think about God and religion, to like literally this guy is beginning to question, what if everything that I know about religion is based on what I heard from a flawed messenger? He, he said something along those lines. Maybe it wasn't the message that I have such a problem with. Maybe it was the way the message was shared with me when I was a child. And I'm thinking to myself as a pastor, this guy, like God is pursuing this guy in his heart because God pursues everyone. And through this open conversation, through someone believing strongly about something, but not saying just because I believe this makes me right. Hey, let's talk about this. We're, I'm, we're watching this unfold where this guy is beginning to open up his mind to see the Lord. Because just because you believe strongly about something doesn't mean you're right. Because Saul absolutely believed strongly about this. He absolutely thought he was right. And we see that God completely changes his life. The reality is, um, whether you look at him and think he's a good person, or you look at him and think a bad person, that has 100% to do with your perspective, right? Because if you're a Pharisee and you look at Saul, he's the man right? Look at him. Like he's worked his way up. He's an influencer. He's going, he's persecuting Christians. As a Pharisee, you're cheering for that guy because he is the man. But if you're on this side of the, of the table, if you're a follower of Jesus, he is pure 
evil, isn't he? He's literally killing your friends and you're hiding from him because he has your name on a list. He is a bounty hunter out for blood. He is pure evil. And I believe, I, I, I truly believe that those who are followers of Christ knew about this because we, we see this in, with Ananias and they would have, they probably have prayed, God, can you just eliminate this guy? Can you just take him out so that we don't have to deal with this pure evil anymore? But God doesn't interact with his people that way, does he? Because every single person was created by him in his own image. And he created them exactly the way he wanted them to be. Right? And so we see, we see this untimely encounter with God that Saul has on the road. Look at verse 3. Again, he says, He's on his way, he's approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard this voice, and it said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his response is, who, who is this? I guess he was persecuting a ton of people, and so he's just like, oh, I would pick, a, pick a number. And the, his this response is this, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He identifies himself. And this is what I want you to see, is that when he was confronted by Jesus, and when you are confronted by Jesus, you fall flat on your face. When you are in his presence, you fall flat on your face. Why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus. His response was literally falling at the feet of Jesus. The one whom he was persecuting. Because when anyone comes face to face with Jesus, their lives are never the same. In the presence of God, in the presence of God, your sins are both revealed and healed at the very same time. The exact same time. In the presence of God, your sins are both revealed and healed at the same time. This is this miracle that happened with Paul or with Saul. We see him, he's walking, he has orders to kill the Christians, right? And God reveals himself to Saul, falls flat on his face. And you can imagine what's going through his mind. All of the sins, all of his iniquities, all of these things are revealed before God, not just the stuff that people were aware of, but the stuff that no one else knew about. And in God's presence, there he's completely exposed. But at the very same time of his being, of being completely exposed, he's completely made new by the blood that Jesus shed for him. This is an amazing experience that we're seeing unfold. A couple months ago, uh, when, I got to, when I got to preach here on Sunday, uh, we talked about God going after the one, right? And, and we had this opportunity to go alongside of God and chasing after the one because God values the one. We see this practically happening in Saul's life, right? God is pursuing this guy and he comes face to face with God. It's completely broken. All of his sins are revealed. He's exposed, but at the very same time, he's wrapped up in God's arms and he's healed. He's washed clean by the blood of the lamb. This is this amazing thing that happens and 
he is forever changed by this encounter. Forever changed. Saul is blind, and the others around him are speechless. And, and what we know about Saul's life is his eyes would never be the same again, right? He, he regains his sight a couple days later, but uh, he has a thorn in the flesh that he struggles with throughout his entire ministry. And many scholars believe that that is his eyesight, right? As you see um, in his letters that he wrote to the churches in the New Testament, you see at the end, because he had people transcribe them, he wrote stuff with his own hands. And, the, and, and his lettering is so much bigger because he couldn't see at all, right? He was com- forever changed by this encounter with Jesus. His heart was internally impacted. He experienced what he should have experienced was wrath. He experienced grace. Because the people of God were hoping God would just take care of Saul. Take him out. Don't, like, I don't need to worry about this guy anymore. He is sheer evil. God, he looks at this person and he sees Hey, you were created by me. You're my masterpiece. I created you exactly the way you want to be. Your personality, your intricacies, the way you're naturally bent. You were created this way. And there's nothing that you could do to change the way I feel about you. And I'm going to pursue you because I pursue everyone. God pursues everyone. And we see he's blinded and he goes into the city and he does the only thing he knows how to do. He becomes religious again, right? He begins to fast and pray. And you can imagine that this prayer time has changed dramatically, right? Because he had all of these rote prayers they had memorized when he was a Pharisee. But now he's talking to God, cleansed by the blood. He has new access to God that he's never experienced before. He was praying other people's prayers. He was praying arrogant prayers before. But now he gets to go face to face with the creator of the universe and experience his love and grace. You can imagine that three-day prayer sesh was pretty amazing right? He, he doesn't eat. He doesn't drink anything because he is experiencing God in a way that he's never done this before. He's forever changed. And Ananias hears from God. God's, God tells him, hey, go meet Jesus. Or go meet, Jesus tells him, go meet this man named Saul. And he's like, you want me to do what? No, 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 no. I don't know if you heard right. This guy is a bounty hunter. He has my name on a list. He's out for blood. But Jesus' interaction with Ananias is a lot different than ours would have been, right? In verse 15, he says this, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. That Saul, the sheer evil, out of the mouth of Jesus, chosen instrument, Because God, he had a different plan. He had a different plan than what what man had. Not death, but new life. Not just a better life, 
a completely new life. The reality is Saul, as we know it, did die there. The Bible talks to us about those who are in Christ. You're a new creation. The old is dead and the new has, it, it has become, become new, right? A new again. And so what the Christians wanted is Saul to die. And they actually got exactly that because Saul died to himself and was made alive in Christ Jesus through this experience. New life. He went from uh, he he br- went from taking life to now giving life. The executor of Christians, the enemy of God, is a chosen instrument because this is how God works. He takes what we think is broken and he makes it beautiful. When he looks at you and when he looks at me and when he looks at Saul, he doesn't see all the bad that we've done. He sees that we're a broken person in desperate need of healing. And that's what, that's what God does. He came for the broken and the busted. You might have made a mess of your life. There's not anything that you could do to escape the pursuing love of God. Because uh, as, as we see in the experience of Jesus in his life in the Gospels, and in this experience with, with Saul, God is not after the religious. He's after the rebellious. I came... For the sick, not the well. They don't need a doctor. It is not until we can look, until we're exposed, until God looks down at us and we look back up at him and we realize that our heart is naturally rebellious, that we are naturally bent away from what he wants us to do, that we have sin in our lives and that sin has separated us from God. And it's not our religion that will make us right because Saul, he was the best at religion. He was the best. There's no matter how good, no hard you try, you're not gonna be better at religion than Saul was because he was the very best. And yet, all of that religion could not get him in right relationship with God. Because when he went face to face with his creator, his life, he fell down on his face because he was broken. And he realized that in that moment, that him trying to mend himself never worked. He realized his heart was rebellious. But but at the same time, God's love is amazing. This grace to forgive him of all of his rebellion covers up everything. This is what we see in the life of Saul, right? He, sheer evil, chose an instrument of God. And I don't know where you are today, but I know that each and every one of us in this room have a rebellious heart. And maybe you try to cover that up with religion. But the truth is, when you're face to face with God, your heart will be exposed. The things that you've done, 
are exposed. And your response is to either hide or humble yourself before him. He wants the rebellious heart. He is pursuing all of his creation. We talk about this with our students all the time, and it's true for you guys as an adults. There's no sin too great. There's no place too far. There's no heart too hard for the overwhelming grace of God. You might have made a wreck of your life. You know what God says? I'm pursuing you. You might have tried to do everything right and found yourself empty and alone. You know what God's saying? I'm pursuing you. You might have tried to run away from God. He is still pursuing you. You can't outrun his love. It doesn't matter where your heart is and how, or how angry you might be at him for the way your life has played out. He is still pursuing you. He wants your rebellious heart. He wants to take that which is broken and make it beautiful. Because flash forward, Saul becomes a new man. He becomes Paul. And he becomes one of probably the single most influential person outside of Jesus for the start of the early church. Writes, ha- writes a load of the New Testament. Right? His letters we're still looking at today, he was sheer evil. And what I would know about you, every single person in this room, is no matter if you are, you've been trying to do religion, you're not going to be more religious than, Paul, than Saul was. But maybe you're on the other side of the coin and maybe you've just completely ruined your life and you've taken all the things that God has given you and you've completely wasted them. You know what? God is still pursuing you because when the Christians looked at Saul, that's what he was doing. He was wasting his life away. God is still pursuing you just like he was pursuing Saul. So my, 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 my question for you guys is, are you at a place right now where God is shining down his light on you and you're willing to say, you know what? My heart is rebellious and I've been trying to do this on my own and I've been completely messing all of this up and, and I know that the only thing that can make me better is you and you alone. And I'm gonna give my life to you today. We would love to have a conversation with you. After we're done, I'm going to be in the back. I would love to to talk to you about what that looks like to follow Jesus, to have this experience with Jesus. But maybe you're in this room and, man, you've done church a lot. Maybe you had that moment in your life where you gave your life to Jesus. But but since then, you've been living a very rebellious life and you're trying to fix yourself The truth is you're not going to ever be able to fix yourself. It's only through coming to Jesus that we can be made whole. He can take your brokenness and make you beautiful. And if that's you today, the Bible tells you that what you need to do is repent. You need to lay down the sins that you've been doing, the way you've been living, the busyness of your life, the distractions of your life. Lay those down at his feet and respond to Jesus today. That's the only way you can find fulfillment.
That's the only way you can find peace. That's the only way you can find purpose. It's through a relationship with Jesus. If that's you today and you need someone to pray with you, to talk with you, I would love to do that as well. Because he wants to take your brokenness and make something beautiful out of it. Because you are a chosen instrument of God, created for purpose. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I love you so much and I'm so grateful that you use broken things. And as we uh, think about our own life and our own rebellious nature. My prayer is that our hearts will be broken before you so that you can make something beautiful out of it. If there's anyone in this room, Lord, give them, uh, that, that needs to know you, give them the courage to come and start a conversation. And if I know that there's people in this room that have sins that they've been holding on to that they need to repent of. Don't let them go on holding on to these things. Open up their hands. Let them lay down that which they've been holding on to so they can experience new life with you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.